Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, but don't stand yet. I want to ask you a question first. What if it was just us in this room today? No, no building, no chairs, no musical instruments, it's just us. We were just standing here in an open field. If it was just us, what would we need to, to grow this church in spiritual depth and numbers as God blessed? What would it take? What would you need? People will tell you that you would need all sorts of good things in the realm of sight and sound to pull that off. But what if I told you a group, by the way, made up predominantly of professing Christians that the one thing we need is the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God in the lives of the people of God. Some would immediately disagree, saying that what we need is inspirational music or healthy relationships or effective ministries. All good things but not what we need to grow a church in the way that God intends. We need the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God in the lives of the people of God. Because God wants us to hear and understand His Word so that we would produce good works in keeping with saving faith. That's the point of our passage we're looking at this morning. He, he wants His church to do the same. And that, by the way is what we'll be looking at today about God's Word and our response. First, what we'll do is read Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 18-23. Then I'm going to try to explain it, and then we're going to see how it applies to us. So please stand with me as we read Matthew 13, verses 18-23. through 23. Someone left me a gift this morning up here. Okay, Matthew 13, verse 18. Thank you, by the way, whoever gave me that. It's wonderful. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that is in your word. And we pray, Lord, this day, 
that your spirit would apply this word into the lives of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are at the parable of the sower. We were there several weeks ago as well, and we read Jesus' giving of the parable without explanation to the crowds, verses 3 through 9. But now we are going to consider his explanation of the parable to his disciples. The parable of the sower is one of Jesus' best-known parables. He uses a familiar sight in Bible times, a man casting seed out in the field, casting it in all directions, broadcast sowing. And he's teaching how his word impacts human lives, how people enter his kingdom by his blessing and power. I mentioned several weeks ago that some people call this the parable of the soils because seed falls on four kinds of soil with four kinds of results. But I'm going with Jesus on this. He names it the parable of the sower in verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. So we're going to stick with that. But Jesus told this parable and now he explains this parable. Verse 18, he says, Hear now the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4 and verse 10 tells us that Jesus' audience was the twelve and others around him. So a larger group of disciples. And he is saying that in light of their privilege to see and to hear things that prophets and righteous men longed to hear and hardened hearts rejected. Jesus says to them, you listen. You listen. He commands them to listen as he gives the meaning. Parables were often designed to capture listeners. Capture their attention. Make them participants in the story. Leading them to evaluate their worldview and to call their basic values into question. And here what Jesus is doing is he's sharpening their focus. He is, he is calling them to examine themselves. To see where they stand before he begins to teach deep kingdom truths in the rest of the parables in chapter 13. He begins with the sower, the seed, and the soils. The sower. The, the capital S sower is God. The lowercase s sowers are anyone who gives the word of God out. The seed is the word of the kingdom, as we see here. Mark and Luke call it the word of God. The soils are human hearts. The results are how people respond to God's word. It's that simple. In verse 19, we see the first of the four soils what I will call the empty or dead heart. There are key words here. Does not understand is a key phrase. Snatches away is another key phrase. See, Jesus is saying that some people will hear the message of the kingdom, but like hardened paths, do not let the truth sink in. And the evil one, Satan, takes it away. 
The word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom is the message of how one comes to faith in Christ. How, how someone enters the kingdom of God through the gospel. Let's take a moment and review something about the kingdom of God because this is the word of the kingdom as Jesus puts it. Chapter 13 com- contains parables of the kingdom of God. That's the context. That's the, the topic that Jesus is on and, and God's kingdom, if you want to really boil it down, has two main aspects. A universal aspect and a mediatorial aspect. The universal kingdom of God includes every created thing in all places and in all times. God is the sovereign creator and that nothing exists without his permission or provision. Now, the mediatorial aspects of his kingdom, of his rule, um, as mediated through others. The Lord's Prayer, by the way, shows us both these aspects of of God's kingdom when we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven refers to God's universal rule, his overall rule of everything. On earth refers to the present mediatorial kingdom where his followers are presently under Christ's rule because there are many people who are not under Christ's rule. Notice the words, in his heart. It says that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The heart is the place of decision. And this first person makes a decision to not even hear. The verdict on soil number one is not a true believer, no real faith. That's an easy one to see. This person never understands. In verses 20 and 21, we see soil number two, what I'm going to call the temporary or shallow heart, characterized by rocky ground. See, some people get emotionally worked up over Jesus. But nothing's going on beneath the surface. There's no depth. The key words here are no root and endures for a while. Verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. And notice, soil one heard the word, and, and person number two here hears the word as well, and immediately receives it with joy. Sounds like everything's going splendidly. Yet, he says in verse 21, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And so when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, right away he falls away. So right away he springs up, right away he falls away. No firm root, only temporary, falls away due to two enemies, affliction and persecution, which persecution, by the way, means to be put to flight, to be pursued, to be chased down, chased away. And it's all because of the word. And you notice what happens. Immediate results. Signs of early adoption, but they're not real. And then he immediately falls away. Jesus is saying that the person who receives the word in a thoughtless way might show immediate signs of life, but they're false. And external pressures... Reveal the soil's shallowness. 
Temporary hearts are plentiful during revival. And they were present during Jesus' ministry. Initial reception of the gospel, it seems to be taking hold and, and then trouble comes and it falls away. So the verdict on soil number two, not a true believer, no real faith, interested up to a point, while things are easy. First John 2.19 describes them. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. It's as simple as that. In verse 22, we see the, what I'll call the unfruitful or conflicted heart. Soil number three. This person never really allows the word to control him. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The word in this person's life is one of many competing allegiances, not as important to him as others, so it's choked out of his life. This person never allows the word to control him. He stays in control of everything. And he's more into life's other enticements. And there are many. As we know. Key words here are choke. Never a good thing. And proves unfruitful. There are two enemies here too. The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. What are those? Well, worries are are cares about temporary things that are allowed to snuff out spiritual life. Deceitfulness of riches, that riches can go bad on you, but here it possibly even means the desire for, or the, the love for, the, the, the delight in wealth. Because what meant deceitfulness in those days came to mean pleasure or delight. But either way, the person is never affected by the word. Reception of the word is compromised by riches and worldly concerns. And so the verdict on, on soil number three, on person number three, is not a true believer. Loves other things more than Jesus. So three soils so far, three negative responses. No believers. So in contrast to the negative results of the first three soils, now we're going to see a really positive one. And the entire parable is been has been building up to this one soil. Verse 23. Jesus says, as for, what, as for the seed, excuse me, as for, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, so all four hear the word, and understand it, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. By the way, all, all three of those yields are are blessings from God in those days. If you got an eight to one return, you would be good. So 100, 60, and 30, all good. All blessed by God. I'm going to call this one the receptive or reborn heart. Keys here are, are very simple to see. It's he hears, he understands, and bears fruit. There's a yield, there's a, a produce, there's something happening. It bears a crop. 
There's spiritual fruit in human life. So the verdict on soil number four is genuine believer. Real faith. The good soil. The only sure evidence, by the way, of spiritual life is spiritual fruit. This one bears fruit. And and it's important to know that every believer does not have the same fruitfulness, but all believers are fruitful. And we are not saved by our good works. But the total absence of them indicates that we never truly have been saved. And I believe there are encouragements embedded here in Jesus' words. Because Jesus has reminded us of something as we, as we hear his explanation. One of the things he's reminding us is that not all of our gospel work will succeed. Good results might not appear right away. Or ever. But we are to put no confidence in immediate results. Immediate success. We're to sow in faith, believing that God will cause growth in His time. So we are not to be discouraged if that happens. You may not know until the day that Jesus comes again the effects of your preaching, teaching, sharing, praying, loving. And you ought to expect opposition to the Word. Here's three out of four against the Word of God. Some reject it immediately. Some show great emotion right away, but when tested, fall away. Some are distracted with valid concerns and sinful pleasures. The message of the kingdom, the gospel, the Word of God, reveals various kinds of reception from various kinds of people. The way it is. Not everyone accepts the message and is saved. Most are not. If you go by the 25% rate of saving faith in this parable, at least. A long time ago, Larry King asked Billy Graham a question. He said, hey, are all those people that come forward at the Crusades, are they all saved? And Billy gave a brief explanation of the four soils and then said maybe only 25% were true believers. Only God knows that. The kingdom came in Christ, the king. But many failed to yield to his authority. And the basic idea that Jesus is presenting here in this explanation is I'm going to give you three ideas here that that are, are going on and they're all present right here in the text. The first is that God's word is proclaimed and it causes a division in those who hear, among those who hear. Whenever God's word is presented, preached, given, there's going to be the same two results, belief or unbelief. Another thing that's going on here is that unbelievers fail to hear and understand either due to hardened hearts or being superficial 
or fixated on worldly things. And the, la- and the third thing that's going on here is that believers hear, understand, and bear fruit. It's like the 3,000 saved in one day in Acts. It happens. They receive the word. It is united with faith. Salvation results and growth is seen. It, it, it happens all over the place. And we have experienced this in our own lives. We've seen it happen. We don't know exactly how it happened, but we know it happened. We can't harness it completely because the way God works, we want to be able to bottle it and you know, sell it. But God does it, and it happens. And being reborn is the key. Being reborn is the key. Let's go to Jesus' words in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 7, he says, you must be born again. In verse 8, he speaks of being born of the Spirit. In verse 16, he speaks of whoever will believe. Those are those who are born of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does it. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says that God has caused us to be born again. It is a merciful gift of God to undeserving sinners. We become new creations of God. So we are transformed at the deepest level of our existence to live a new life. We have a new identity, a new way of thinking, and new desires. We want to please God. If you're saved, remember back when you first became a believer. All you wanted to do was do what God wanted you to do. And all you wanted to do was tell everyone about your Heavenly Father and how amazing and awesome and powerful He is. Nothing will happen unless you are born again. The call to believe is very strong in Scripture. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Put your faith in Christ. Put your entire life in His hands. Yield control to Him. Acknowledge His Lordship. That's pretty much what Jesus is talking about. So what can we glean from this passage of Scripture? The interpretation that Jesus gives is very clear that it expects every person, he expects every person to look to themselves. You know, Jesus didn't give this parable so the disciples would say, look what losers they are. Think about who Jesus had in his little crew, just between the 12. Judas, who would betray him. 
No one knew but God at that point. Who else did he have? Thomas, who said, after the resurrection, by the way, I will not believe unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and into his side. I won't believe. Who else was in that group of that larger group of disciples? We've got to decide. We've got to freely choose a direction we're going to go in life, either for or against Jesus. And and you know what's interesting is that's an everyday choice. We're called to hear the word, to receive it favorably, to understand it, literally to put things all together, to, to get it, to buy into it, to, to commit to it. And then growth happens. I've got trees in my backyard. They're fruit trees. I haven't seen one of them pushing really hard to make growth. I haven't seen it happen. It just happens. You wake up one day, you walk outside, there's a blossom. Wow. You've been watering for a long time. You planted the seed a long, long time ago. You've been watering and all of a sudden, wham, there, there it is. We are to put ourselves in the way of growth. Into an atmosphere that will foster growth. You say, well, I'm not growing. Well, maybe you're in the wrong atmosphere. Maybe you're on another planet. I don't know. The implications for us, I believe, have to do something with preparing soil and protecting seed and producing solid growth. And um, with regard to preparing soil, be careful how you hear the word. Huh? Be careful how you hear the word. Some people I know have hearing aids. You know when you get a hearing aid? When you need one. You don't just go get one because you want one. You need one. We need hearing aids. Notice that hearing is what this is all about as this parable relates to us. Hearing. All four soils hear the word but only one of them get it. You've got to be careful how you hear. You don't want to lose it. Four times in this passage. Excuse me, um, five times in this passage. Verse 18, hear the word about the parable. Verse 19, he hears the word. Verse 20, hears the word. Verse 22, hears the word. Verse 23, hears the word. So in verse 18, when Jesus says, hear, he's saying, listen up. The call is clear. Take care how you hear. Do you have ears to hear? Do you have ears to receive it favorably? Good, tilled, cultivated ground as opposed to rocky, weedy, thorny ground. Prepare your heart. Put yourself in a good position to receive it well. I'm called to preach the word. Many of you are called to do that in various settings. 
But this text is about another great calling to hear the word. To be receptive to it. Some hearing barely gets started. Before you go out the door, it's gone. Some hearing lasts until there's a hard time in life and some turn from God's word to other words. Some hearing lasts until riches and pleasures choke it off. But some hearing defeats the devil and endures trial and scorns riches and bears fruit to eternal life. That's the hearing you want. Psalm 40 verse 6 says that God opens ears. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. We pray in Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. Let's pray this. Lord, open our ears. That we may hear your word with an open heart. Regarding protecting the seed. You need to realize the danger of hearing the word and remaining unchanged. Realize the danger of hearing the word and remaining unchanged. It's the idea of receiving versus rejecting the word. See, these verses are a reminder that even the most enthusiastic response doesn't guarantee saving faith if it's not united with faith. Understand means to put it all together. It's the word being united with faith in those who hear. It's the perfect marriage of God's word and human hearts receiving it. I drink hot tea. Laugh about it later. I don't drink coffee. I drink herbal, naturally decaffeinated hot tea. And it's, it's interesting what you need to make that work. You need hot water and a tea bag. Together. Spiritually, you need God's word coupled with an open heart that desires to hear and know and do what he says. So, how do you know where you stand? Jesus means this for us to hear it. How do you know? How do you test yourself to see if you're in the faith? Let me give you a slew of questions. Don't feel like you have to write all these down, by the way, all right? First one, is there a root? Is there a root? Has, there, has it taken hold in the ground and sprouted? Literally, it means, do you, you know, spiritually, do you, do you know and love Jesus? Is your allegiance to him? Have you, have you come to saving faith? And, and, and another question is, is there any fruit? Is there any fruit? Is, is there any evidence? That, at my house right now, in, in my small backyard, I've got a fig tree with figs on it. I love figs. I've got, I've got apples on an apple tree and apricots on an apricot tree. No lemons on a lemon tree. No limes on a lime tree. I'm calling those two into question, by the way. And blossoms on a berry bush. What kind of evidence is there in your life? Let me give you a few more questions. Again, don't feel like you have to write these down. But do you desire to worship and do you desire to worship God and know him more? 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you love God's people? John chapter 13, 30, 
4 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So do you love God's people? Here's how you know if you love God's people. There's one way. Can you confess your sins to one another? Is there anyone in your life that you confess your sins to? Do you say, I need your help. I need some accountability. And, and can, you, can you forgive? Can you forgive? Are you able to forgive? Jesus said, if you're not, you can't be forgiven. You won't be forgiven. It shows that you're not forgiven. Are you able to confess your sins and are you able to forgive people? Here's another question. Do you stick around through tough times? Do you stick around through tough times? 1 Peter chapter 1 speaks about some of those tough times. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, in, in this you rejoice, this salvation you have received, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's another question. Do you actively avoid idolatry? You say, oh, no, I'm not one of those. We all are, by the way. The human heart is an idol factory. We go after a lot of even good-looking things that are not God. 1 John, chapter 2, Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Last verse of chapter 5, little children, keep yourselves from idols, because he knew what great danger their souls would be in if they didn't. Do you consistently seek God's will? Ephesians 5, 17 says, Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is. Figure it out. Look. And do you desire to know, understand, and obey God's word? 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. By that pure milk of the word, you will grow in respect to salvation. You want to grow as a believer? Get into the word. And one last question, are you becoming more like Christ? Don't answer that. Ask your family. Ask your friends. Ask your coworkers. You don't, you don't work with, with believers? Good. Ask them if you're bugging them more and more. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control working its way out in and through you? So the presence of observable fruit gives uh, indication whether a person's profession of faith is genuine. And by the way, the meaning of fruit here points to getting more understanding from Jesus. Growing in grace and knowledge of Christ. 
to the one who has, more will be given. You know what that points me to as well is that we are to hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against God. Look, my memory isn't getting better as I get older. And sometimes we think that Bible memory is just for kids because they got better minds than we do. They, they, they get it quicker. They can remember it quicker than us. There's one person in my life right now who consistently challenges me to memorize God's word. Glenn Perry, a member of our church. For the past five years in our father-son Bible study, uh, he, he spurs us on to hide God's word in our hearts. We need that. Jim Elliott said, A man's thoughts die his soul. Constant dwelling on and meditating on and immersion in God's word changes us. Last thing. In terms of producing solid growth, let the word affect everything. You got to let the word affect everything. We're either growing or we're dying. You got to put yourself in the way of growth into an atmosphere that will that will foster it and, and trust God to make it happen. We plant, we water, but only God causes growth. Notice that the word of God is also high up on the list in this parable. It comes first. You you the word is presented, then it's heard. God's in control of His word, and He entrusts it to to us. and And God's word does its work in us who believe. It's powerful, it's effective, it is not bound, 2 Timothy 2.9 says. The word of God is not bound. It is free to roam where God sends it. And Isaiah 55 tells us it will accomplish the task for which it was sent. Even this morning, as it goes out, it's going to bounce off these walls and into hearts and out the doors to whatever God wants to do through his word. There's power in the word. You know, do you realize if we could follow the trail of the word, somehow we had that kind of spiritual sight that we could, we could trace the path of the word, we'd be blown away by what God does with it. Jonathan Lehman wrote this, when the word of God is central, it echoes into all parts of the life of the church. It reverberates through preaching, teaching, music, and prayer, through conversations between elders and members and members and guests, older Christians and younger ones, God's word bounces around the life of the church like the metal ball in a pinball machine. God's word reverberates into people's homes and workplaces, families and neighborhoods, out onto Facebook and blogs and everywhere people go. It takes us back to that question I asked at the beginning. What if it was just us in this room? No building, no chairs, no nothing, just us. What would we need to grow this church in spiritual depth and numbers? The one thing that we really need is the word of God applied by the spirit of God into the lives of the people of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are central and that you have made what you have to say central to all we are called to be and do. Lord, grant us hearing and understanding your word in such a way that we bear fruit in keeping with saving faith. Because we know those things are enabled by your spirit through, through your word in, in, our, in our lives. We know, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
So we pray, Lord, that our response to, the, to your all-sufficient word given by your spirit would be, would be good. Because we know, Lord, that you want us to hear and understand your words that we would produce good works in keeping with the saving faith you give. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.